Well, good morning. Good to be with you today. My name is Corey. I'm one of the pastors here. My great delight to be able to get into God's Word with you. If you got your Bibles, please open them to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be living in Mark 10 for the next few Sundays. Uh, We started last week with a difficult topic on divorce in Mark 10, and uh, we're going to be continuing on in this passage. So uh, the message title today is Jesus Loves Little Children. And as we go through the text, I think it should be very abundantly clear to us why we're talking about that today. It's just that Jesus loves kids. And not only does Jesus love children, but the, he uses kids to help us understand something significant about the kingdom. That we need to actually come to God's kingdom in the same way that children come to God's kingdom as adults. And we need to be very, very aware that that's the only way that we actually come to Jesus. And so as we're going through this passage, we invite you to stand. We're going to read it together, and then we're going to dive in. So would you stand as we read Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16? This is the word of the Lord. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. For truly I say to you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so Jesus took a child in his arms. He placed his hands on them and Jesus blessed the children. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you. So we're in this passage of Mark and what I want us to understand before we really get into the text is that Mark is making a significant shift in the way that he's describing the the, the events of the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, he's only concerned about one question, one theme around the whole gospel narrative that he's been talking about. Uh, And and I said this a few weeks back when we were going through uh, Mark chapter 8, that there are five major themes in the gospel of Mark. One of them is the messianic secret And it's this idea that Jesus just doesn't come out and say who he is, but he regularly kind of shields his identity. And it's not very often that somebody actually publicly declares, this is who this Jesus is. And then in Mark chapter 8, Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then describes what it means for him to uh, to be the actual Messiah, not the one that they were looking for. Another one of the themes is that Jesus is God based on the things that he does. Mark, less than any of the other gospel records, has way less teaching, but more events or more miracles that Jesus performs. And Mark is trying to posture this thing that as people are reading, who is this Jesus really? Because he's doing things that no human person can do. Then there's another one of the major themes, which is the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He uses it 71 times in the New Testament, and most of them take place inside of Mark's gospel. And then there's another one, which is kind of the threads of where we're moving now in Mark's gospel. It's the issue of discipleship. What does it look like to actually follow after Jesus in his footsteps? What what does it mean to do like he does and be like he is? And then the one that we're dealing with today, and the one that Mark 10 basically focuses completely on, is this issue. The kingdom of God. And this is the thread. This is the whole focus of what Mark is trying to help us understand. So the big idea today is around that, is that kingdom faith is childlike. It's not childish. We're going to make a separation and a differentiation between those two things. So with your Bibles open, let's just start going through the text. So people were bringing little children, the word here is padea, it actually does mean toddlers or small children, to Jesus to have him touch them. 
Now, the idea of a touch in the ancient world was a lot more significant than it is even for us today. Like, when you want to show that you care about somebody who's going through a difficulty, maybe you'll put your arm around them. Like, you're, you're standing with them. You're, you're alongside of them. But for children, children weren't really touched in this way unless it was a specific blessing. And in the, in the Jewish culture, there was a very specific and important day for Jewish boys. It was their birth day or the eighth day or the circumcision day. And so this idea of Jesus touching them, that basically people are bringing their children that are not eight days old to Jesus in order for him to bless them, to give them value, to put his hands on them. And who, why would you not want to have Jesus touch your kids, right? Like, can you just think about that for just one second? Like, the, the idea of having a rabbi or having a prophet come and to bless your child in the Old Testament was a huge deal. But now this is God's king. And people are starting to understand this. And that's kind of how Mark is, is setting up the whole lesson plan of the rest of his gospel. Now that his identity is out, people want to be around Jesus because he really is the king. He really is the king of the Jews that we've been waiting for all this time. And so it's not just that Jesus is a prophet who's teaching good things. People are starting to put this together that this touch from Jesus is, is an indication of his affirmation and care. Like if we can get our kids to Jesus, think about all the people who brought people to Jesus to touch them, to heal them of their infirmities. To do this for children was to say, Jesus is placing such a high value on kids that which in this culture just didn't exist. Children were seen as part of the lowest class of society, the, the below the lowest kind of level of people because they, they didn't bring anything kind of socioeconomically to the world. They, they didn't add any value necessarily to the family construct, even though they did. But in that time, they were just kind of, children were supposed to be seen away and not heard. But Jesus wants them. Jesus wants kids. And he wants them in his kingdom. But look at the response from the disciples. The disciples rebuked them. And if, if, you're, if you're following along any in the, in the uh, gospel of Mark as we've gone through this, my guess is that Peter started this. Peter regularly, uh, Mark's gospel, by the way, was actually Peter's first hand account. is his eyewitness account and Mark just wrote it down for him. Peter regularly doesn't look great. In the Gospel of Mark, he kind of says, like, and then I was an idiot here, and then I did his dumb thing here, and then I said something and I should have put my foot in my mouth. And I kind of get the sense that this is Peter's doing. He's just, hey, you know what? We actually don't need those kids around right now. But what's interesting about this word rebuked is that the last time it came up was in Mark chapter 8. When Peter said, when he said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then, Mark's, and then Jesus says, yes, you're correct. And this is what that means. And then Peter goes, no, 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 I'm not buying that version of the Messiah. Because Jesus said, I'm going to have to go and suffer. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to rise again. And, P and Peter goes, no, 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 I'm not having any of that. And he told Jesus to his face, you're wrong. Very like Peter. And then Jesus then in turn rebuked him. What's also interesting about this word rebuked is that it's used by Jesus. It's the same Greek word when Jesus casts out demons. So this isn't just some like kind of like, we don't really want the kids here. It's somewhat inconvenient. These guys were being forceful. They were being gruff. They were being hostile. They were sharply charging these families. Keep your kids away from our teacher. But Jesus has a very different idea in mind. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Now, that's an important word. It's the only time that it shows up in the gospel records. And it happens around the treatment of children. And what's important about this word to understand is this word agonekteo, which is a difficult Greek word that you don't need to know. But here's what it means. It means that Jesus was aroused 
to anger for injustice. The treatment of children to Jesus is a justice issue. It's a, it's a firsthand justice thing. So Jesus sees how people are treating the children around him and he says, I'm not having anything about this. This is not gonna happen under my watch. What you have done is so against my kingdom principles that I have to put you in your place now. Jesus is really, really clear about this. And he says to them, do not, uh, he says, let the little children come to me, which is significant. And then he says, do not hinder them, which we're also gonna talk about. For the reason is the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. The idea of the children coming to him comes right off the heels of Mark chapter nine. In Mark chapter nine, when Pastor Neil walked us through that a couple weeks back, Jesus used this as kind of a, a word picture by taking a child and placing him on his knee. And he, he brings the children. And he says, whoever doesn't welcome all people in the way that I welcome children doesn't welcome me and doesn't welcome my father who sent me. That's what Jesus is saying. So this is a justice issue because the kingdom of God is about justice. It's about welcoming people in because the kingdom is for the lowest of the low. The kingdom is for the marginalized and the oppressed. The kingdom is for the people on the outside, the outskirts and the marginalized. That's who God's kingdom is for. That's the entire sermon of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. For blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? That's what the text says. That's what Jesus was preaching. So letting the children come is, I want them to be part of my kingdom work. And he says, do not hinder them. Now, it could be really easy for us to understand. Like, he just doesn't want the, the disciples to stop the kids from getting to him. He's being, what you're doing is wrong. It's actually more important than that. And it, it makes sense to our minds. Like, it's not this big kind of interesting English figure, figuring it out, like, grammatically. But he's saying, do not keep them from me. It's not, don't just stop them. Don't keep them from me. Don't, not, not, don't put a barrier around. That's not the issue. Remove the barrier altogether and encourage the children to come to me. Encourage these families to bring children to me. And what's interesting is based on this passage, a whole chapter later, the disciples should have known better, right? Jesus had just done this word picture. He just used this analogy of children being welcomed into the kingdom of God. And Peter, like he does, he goes, yeah, but I don't know if he really meant it for this situation. Peter, all the disciples. They'd already been taught this truth, that children matter to Jesus, that the lowest of society, the marginalized, the oppressed, the ones who have been downtrodden and mistreated are the ones in which Jesus causes justice to be for. Because of these lowest class people, the most ostracized in the world, Jesus was flipping over the kingdom mentality, making it upside down, saying, my kingdom is not going to be like the kingdoms of the world, where the marginalized, the oppressed are unwanted and unloved. Instead, my kingdom is going to be different, and we're going to welcome those who have been mistreated and unloved. But even, even not this, but think about all the places in the New Testament, in the gospel record, where Jesus regularly heals children. Remember a few months ago, we were going through a passage where uh, there was a woman who was, uh, who was bleeding for 12 years, and then it's kind of married to the other passage where Jesus raises a 12-year-old girl from the dead. Then and just, just a couple weeks ago, there was the, the teaching about the centurion man's son who was demon-oppressed and having these epileptic-type episodes, and Jesus comes and he touches the child and heals the child. See, Jesus cares about kids, 
He brings up a child on his knee in Mark chapter nine. He, he's asking the disciples in, in fury that you are doing something that is unjust. Don't hinder them. Let them come. Don't put stipulations on their coming. Don't put stipulations on the love of children. Don't allow them to follow me. Foster it. Encourage it. Let them be with Jesus. Because theirs is the kingdom of God. Isn't that what he says? He says, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Now, there's a little bit of theological work that needs to be done. Jesus isn't saying that the, the children just get into the kingdom based on the fact that they're children, where I, I think you could actually make a good argument for that in some respects. They need to be with Jesus in the same, they, in the same way that need, we need to be with Jesus. Jesus is saying basically this, my kingdom needs to look different, and disciples, you're getting in the way of what my kingdom actually looks like. And he does so with the lowest of society. And he says this, I tell you the truth. This is, this is Jesus making a promise statement. It's, it's verily I tell you, or truly, truly I say to you. Anyone, look at this. He's putting a condition on it now. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, not workspace, reception, I will receive the kingdom of God. How? Like a little child will never enter it. So Jesus takes what's happening in front of him, takes what's going on with the people who are near him, and he says this, you're not understanding this correctly, guys. The kingdom is not for the powerful. The kingdom is not for the elite. The kingdom is not for the, the best of the best. In the disciples, it was in their mind, they were stopping children from coming to Jesus because they're protecting his time. They're making sure that what they're doing is right because Jesus is important. He's teaching things. He's, people want to be around him, but, but we can't have the wrong kind of people around Jesus. Whoa. Isn't that exactly the point of the gospel? We're all the wrong kind of people to be around Jesus, and he welcomes us, so why would there be a stipulation for children? He's trying to accept, help them understand this. He's saying, don't get in the way of children coming to me, because if you don't come like they come, you don't come at all. If you don't come in the way that a child comes to me, you don't get to come. Whoever doesn't understand that they need to come to me out of complete and utter dependence in the same way that a child comes in complete and utter dependence on somebody else, then you can't come. See, in our works-based and very North American pride-driven society, that just strikes us the wrong way. But, but I'm really good though, so Jesus wanted me on his team. But I, I do my best, so Jesus wanted me. But, I, but I've really cleaned my act up and I've kind of made myself a lot better than I used to be. So Jesus has to accept me. That's the complete antithesis of the message of the gospel. We come to Jesus so that he can clean us up because we're messes. We're a gigantic disaster. And when we come to Jesus, he goes, I see all the pieces that are broken there and I'll fix them. If you try and fix it on your own, you're going to be left disillusioned and frustrated and angry and bitter. No, you need to come like children who don't have any of those preconceived ideas in their head about their own grandeur. Kids are just kids. You invite them, they want to come. They want to be part, they want to be valued. And they trust in such a deeper way than we understand. How do kids trust? They trust like this. Look at that picture. Isn't that it? Right? That's how they trust. Blindly with faith, 
Understanding that they are loved, that they want to be loved, that they need to be loved. Wanting to be valued. Understanding that that's, that actually is the deepest heart of who they are. And this is the most important thing. Just like make, make this guy the Jesus figure, okay? They want Jesus for Jesus. They don't want Jesus for the stuff that Jesus gives them. And if there's ever a message for our day, it's probably that. What, well, what can the church do for me? Well, what is Jesus going to give me? What has he given me this week? Well, salvation's enough. But are we going to Jesus like this? Are we going to Jesus for Jesus? Now, you could, I guess, make an argument that this is somewhat conditional or that's how people get into the kingdom of God is by having the right kind of faith. No, it's just simply having childlike faith. One commentator says it this way, the emphasis on these verses in Mark chapter 10 from Jesus, he has a high regard for vulnerable children as well as a dire focus on childlike faith for anyone who would seek him and seek his kingdom. That's the mentality, that we come like children. Childlike faith, it doesn't mean childish, it doesn't mean silly, it doesn't mean unimportant, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean it's not serious, it means it's childlike and independence and understanding that uh, Jesus said it, so I believe it. This is what he said, this is what I can trust. See, Jesus isn't giving the disciples any room for misunderstanding who the kingdom of God is for. It's not for the elite. It's not for the righteous. It's not for the important. Instead, the kingdom of God for is all those who realize that we have a childlike need for grace. That there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves enough for God to then accept us outside of the sacrifice of Christ. And childlike trust and childlike love, it's, it's that love that leads to everybody being able to be welcomed by Jesus equally into his kingdom. That's why he makes that statement. If you don't come like a kid, you don't come. Because you can't come to Jesus saying, well, here's all the things that I've done though. He looks like that. You're missing the point. This alone is the effective call of the gospel to God's kingdom. You don't know, you can't know, and you'll never know how vast and wide and massive the gap is between you and God because of our own sin and his holiness. We'll never know it. And kids don't either. But when they're invited by Jesus to simply put their trust in him, to put their faith in him, to say, I don't know what my problem is other than I've, I've really messed it up. There's, there's sin in my heart. I do things that aren't right. I need Jesus to fix it. That's how we need to come to him. Getting the idea that this isn't really about kids, right? So Jesus then, he took the children in his arms, he put his hands on them, and Jesus blessed them. The very thing that these families had wanted for their children is exactly what Jesus is about. They wanted their kids to be with Jesus. They wanted their kids to be near the rabbi. They wanted their kids to be near the king. And the king was more than happy to extend the offer to put his hands on them. And I would venture that, as I said before, like the, the eighth day, the circumcision day, that was a big day for little guys. It was a big day for their families. None of those kids were blessed by Jesus. These kids were. Think about the mentality that they would have had after they realized that the, the gospel has fully taken root, that he has been killed for sin and he's been resurrected to new life. Can you imagine the story that they would tell? I knew that guy. I sat on his knee. He welcomed me. He, he wanted to be with me. 
while writing this message, I came a picture that I just loved. I'm not sure where it's from. I had another one in mind, but I, I really like this one. This is the image. What I love about it is look at the attention and the care. Now, yes, there's, there's no other children around. There's no other things to distract, but Jesus is present with a child. So what Jesus has been doing in relation to this entire teaching of the kingdom is modeled around compassion. It's modeled around love. It's modeled around affections towards those who have been marginalized, mistreated, downcast, and outright rejected. Jesus is saying, you need to, if you want to be with me, then you need to come the kingdom way. You need to come the humble way. I can't say it better than this. Jesus does not instruct his disciples to become childish. No, that would be wrong. But instead, he calls us to be childlike in simple trust and humility before the God alone who atones for our sin. The power of humility resides in this and the fact that a humble person does not depend on their own limited strength. Did you hear me? Stop depending on your own strength. Go to Jesus for Jesus. Rather, such a person entrusts himself fully to the powerful and deeply resourceful hand of God. We're not bringing anything to the equation. We're not adding to his ability to save us. Humility does not seek itself. Rather, it pursues God's purposes in God's way. It looks at God's kingdom and says, that's the way to do it. See, the king has set the mantra. He's set the method. He's given us the playbook. He's helped us understand that the kingdom is for the lowly, the broken, the marginalized, the abused, the downcast, the rejected. That includes children. It includes every single one of us. If we want to be part of that kingdom, he simply says, come and receive. But make sure you come and receive like a child. With no stipulations. With no extras. I was thinking about this the other day ever get a Christmas gift as an adult and feel like it was an obligation? Right? Like somebody give you something nice and you're like, oh shoot, now I owe them. Right? You ever watch a kid open a gift on Christmas morning? It's all about what I get. It's all about the joy. It's, and that's, as, as a parent, that's what you want to see. You want to see your kids enjoy the gift. One of the gifts that we have around here is my good friend, Mrs. Kimberly, who runs our kids' ministry. And I'm going to invite her up and she's going to share with us a little bit about what it means to do kingdom ministry well for kids. Thanks. So we're going to, I'm going to turn my back to you. I'm not doing that on purpose. Kevin, thank you so much. We're just going to interview her a little bit because I, I want you to hear from her Perfect, thanks. why kids ministry is so important and why we need to do this legacy thing really, really well. Do y'all like my shirt? Love this is what we're doing in kids' church so that kids will know who's a safe person to talk to as well as you will all know who's in charge at kids. And uh, they're doing it right now and they're doing a great job. Make sure you thank them as you pick up your children. Absolutely. So Corey has asked me, what is, why is it so important that we do kids' men well? Well, as parents and grandparents and caregivers, the greatest legacy that we can give to our children is to point them straight to Jesus and to his word, the Bible. There's a slide we're going to put up right now that says, uh, it's from George Barna, and he writes, what you believe by your 14th birthday is usually what you die believing. In fact, the stats tell us 80% believe the Bible and the Quran are the same thing. 
68% believe you have to earn salvation. 56% believe that Jesus sinned. 36% believe the Bible is accurate. 32% believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And 18% believe that there is an absolute truth. So what happens here at church is critical. Mm -hmm. How well are we passing the baton from children's ministries to youth and to then young adults? Because every stage of a child matters. Mm -hmm. Kimberly, can you just explain a little bit about, because I have kids in your ministry and a lot of us have kids in Kimberly's ministry and we trust you with them, but explain the, the why and the what. How come, the, how come kids ministry isn't just like childcare? Mm -hmm. uh, it's not just like, hey, this is free babysitting so I can have an, an hour without my kid trying to grab at my purse or bother me or whatever. Why, why is it so important? Well, Kids Church is really important. In fact, during COVID, I actually changed the name to Kids Church. I want kids to boldly declare on a Sunday that they are going to Kids Church. I want them to love coming to church. I want them to wake up their parents on Sunday mornings and say, come on, let's go to church because they're waiting for me. Mm. I've been here now for 11 years. It's been a joy and a love to serve the children and their families here at West Park. I have over 200 amazing volunteers. Actually, I like to call them ambassadors because they're ambassadors for Jesus. They bring their best every single Sunday, not just for kids, but to honor the commitment that they have made before Jesus Christ. The curriculum we study is called the Gospel Project. It takes us three years to complete. We go through the Bible chronologically. Each week we have a keynote speaker, worship, crafts, game time, a small group time. Sometimes our mornings run really, really smoothly and then there's times like today that I wonder what <laughs> has happened. But you know, usually on these mornings is when I am flooded with God stories about what God has done. Even when we're thinking, Oh no, what's going on? Kids Church is really about partnering with you as parents, grandparents, and caregivers. If you were to ask a child, who is the most influential person in your life, the common answer would be first mom, then dad, then grandparents, extended relatives, and friends, and then the church. Together we must help the children to belong. We need to speak into their identity. Kids need to find this at church. If they don't find it at church, they will find it somewhere else. We must connect kids to Jesus Christ. Yeah. A class for new believers or a baptism class or even a child dedication where I'm leading and teaching the parents with their children, I'm always encouraging them, bring your Bibles. Let's open up God's word and see what does God's word say about it, not what does Mrs. Kimberly say. God's truth has never changed and it never ever will. We can stand on his promises. When we have the privilege of having a child in our care for an hour and 10 minutes on Sunday mornings, we want to look in their beautiful little faces. We want to tell them how important they are. They are created in his image. There are no mistakes. Mm -hmm. He has a plan and a purpose and he delights in them. What we say or um, what we say people might forget, but what we, how we make a child feel, they'll never forget that. Working with a solid team is key and it takes an army, really, to lead over 200 children each and every Sunday. I am so blessed to tell you that all four of our congregations are very involved in kids' ministry and it is a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Like the stonework on the fountain just outside these doors, it says, may God continue to bless West Park for generations to come. It has been a vision and something that has been planted deeply in the heart of those who have begun West Park Church for us. So when you reach a child for Christ, 
They have their whole life to live for Jesus. Yeah. Kids Church is not, not a babysitting program. No, it, is it is our ministry, our mission to introduce them to Jesus. Yeah. We are building disciples. Yes, you are. That's awesome. So with that, how, what, what would you say to encourage, strengthen parents to kind of ratchet up the spiritual temperature at home? Like what, what are maybe some things you've done or things that are important to you that you've done in, in your life and legacy that have, that have kind of modeled why you're doing kids ministry this way? Mm-hmm. My constant prayer over our family is that our circle not be broken in heaven. I want everyone I love to join Jesus and I in eternity forever. For our immediate family, we do have the confidence that our children love Jesus and uh, we will be reunited in heaven again one day. But that's not so for my brother and his family and a lot of other people that I really love. May we never give up praying, loving, and sometimes with or without words being a representation of our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, who loved us so much that he asked his son, his beloved son, to die in our place. But remember, friends, as I tell the children, Jesus didn't stay dead. He is alive and passionately seeking the lost. All of my grandparents have now passed, and they're in heaven, and um, we celebrate that they're in the presence of their Lord. At all of their funerals, wonderful memories were shared. Tears and laughter filled the air as we remembered. And after all the guests had gone home, um, we stayed behind because each of us was allowed to choose something from our grandparents that we wanted to keep by and, and to remember them. The one thing I especially wanted was their Bible. I wanted to thumb through the yellow, the worn yellow pages. I wanted to read what they had underlined and asked God for. The interesting thing is that there was usually only one Bible. I've reflected on this, and after having three kids of our own, I thought, I'm going to get me three Bibles. I'm going to highlight some promises that I've clung to. I'm going to write down questions I'm wrestling with and underlying truths that speak to my soul. And as most of you know, we now have two eight-month-old identical twin granddaughters. So you know what I did? I bought two more Bibles. Our family knows that I love gifts, but more than gifts, way more than gifts, words are very, very important to me. I read and reread precious notes that fill my Bible, and sometimes notes are bookmarks, or they're on our fridge, or they're on uh, our bathroom, our bathroom mirrors. This week, as I was thumbing through some of our some of these Bibles and looking for things to share with you, um, I pulled out some of these little treasures. Our youngest son, his name is Brad, and he's just awesome. When he was just a little guy, he sent us this note. Dear Mom and Dad, thank you for being my parents. I love being part of our family. I love spending time with you. You give me the best life ever. You are so beautiful and handsome. I can't thank you enough. You taught me about God. You made me a follower of God. You are my life. You are so important in my life. Please write back. Then our daughter, our middle daughter, Alyssa, she wrote this note to her daddy. She says, Dear Dad, there's no dad better than you, except God, but I mean here on earth. I love going out for breakfast with you. Ryan, every Saturday, faithfully rotated all three of our kids. Every Saturday morning, they would go out for breakfast where he would be investing in them. He said, I love going out with you. Thank you for always taking your time to help me with homework and studying for tests. You are very smart at computers. Thank you for teaching me about God and taking me to church. Thank you for driving me to London once a week to watch me play my favorite sport, basketball. I love you from British Columbia to Australia. 
It's a big space. That's awesome. Then our oldest daughter, when she was just little, she said, Mom, the things I like to do with you. I like to snuggle in your bed. I love to laugh and talk with you. I like to play games with you. I love to bake with you. I like to go on walks with you. I love it when you take me out for supper. I like to watch movies with you. And I love to hug you. So those are from our three kiddos. And then, well... I'm married to this wonderful man named Ryan, and I asked his permission if I could share um, a note with you today. So, this is what he wrote to me on our 25th wedding anniversary. We've now been married for 30 years. We just celebrated 30, but this is what he wrote. Happy Happy anniversary, honey. I can hardly believe that I've spent 25 years married to my best friend. You truly are my best friend. No one knows me like you do and still loves me. When I think back, we were so young when we got married. I was so naive, but I knew enough to pick the best. What I appreciate about you is that you're willing to do whatever it takes to make me the best that I can be, that you brag about me to your friends. I truly don't like the limelight, but it says a lot to me that you think of me this way, that we parent together through both joys and struggles, the joy of our kids accepting Jesus in their heart and choosing to be baptized, the joy of cheering on our kids as they play soccer, basketball, hockey, or football. I appreciate your outgoing personality and the social life it brings. What I love about you is your smile and the joy you have, the passion you have for kids, your desire to make our family the very best, the love you express to me daily, your selflessness, that you are working so hard to become healthy and that you picked me. Our future, I believe, that our best years are still before us. We have gone through a lot together in the past 25 years. University, married student housing without air conditioning, Buddy and Tasha, cats, bad decision, Bailey, dog, good decision, daycare, losing jobs, being broke, dog hair painted on our baseboards, raising kids, moving, surgery, miscarriages, migraines, piano lessons, soccer games. And I believe that experience and our love for each other and our love for the Lord will make the next 25 years even that much better. Here's to you and to us in the next 25 years. I'm the luckiest guy. Love, Ryan. As all of you came in today, you were given a card and an envelope. I would encourage you to take time today to bless somebody with a note. Maybe this is just the beginning of a stack of notes that will continue to be a blessing and encouragement long after you have breathed your last breath here on earth. These notes tucked inside a Bible filled with truth and promises will be a legacy that will plant seeds, I believe, for generations to come. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, Kimberly, what... you? You and Ryan certainly do, and I've, I've said this to people all the time. They ask me, who should, I, who should I be watching? Who should I model my life after? And you guys are certainly one of those couples. You just, you love each other so well. You encourage your kids so well. You do ministry together so well. Um, how would you encourage us, people here, using those cards or, or other things, to understand like, the, the impact that we need to make in the lives of not just our kids, because some, some of us are not going to have our own children, um, but to make impact in the lives of kids, how, how, do, how, how would you encourage us to do that to make a significant spiritual impact? Mm-hmm. Good question. Well, remember that God is always faithful. He has done it in the past and he's going to do it again. Whatever you're going through, it is not bigger than Jesus. The mm-hmm. hero of the story, every single story in the Bible is of God and God alone. The, the God of the universe who created you and he created me. He made no mistakes. 
You are created in his image. He has a plan and a purpose for each of us. Believe that, cling to that, and trust that God is doing and will continue to do a good work in your life. I love what a child once said as they put their hand over their heart. I know Jesus is in my heart because when I put my hand over my heart, I can feel him walking around in there. (laughs) Friends, we're in the middle of hard stories, broken marriages, hurting kids, and decaying bodies. But we were made for this. When we trust in Jesus and look to Jesus, we can declare we are made for this. In whose life are you making a difference? Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging? Who are you texting, calling, sending a sweet note to? That will make a difference in someone's life. Jesus, in Jesus, there is always, always hope. No matter your background, your failures, or regrets, when we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he is always there for us. There is always hope ahead, just around the next bend. Be intentional and live life with purpose. That's how I want to live each and every day. I know I'm not going to run it perfectly. I'm going to stumble and I'll probably want to give up, but I'm not going to give up. I don't want to go through the motions of just being in survival mode. I want my Bible study time to count. I want my prayers to count. I want my conversations with you to count. I want my ministry to others to count. I want whatever circumstances God allows in my life to count. I want it to count for his glory and in his kingdom. And I know and believe in your heart that's what you want too. So as the world is getting darker... We want to make our lights shine even brighter. So let's press forward, keeping our eyes locked on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Numbers 6, 22 uh, to 26, I'll end with this. It says, May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kimberly. Would you stand with us? Uh, We're going to pray for Kimberly and her kids' ministry uh, because this is, it's kingdom work, right? This is a kingdom thing. Thank you, my friend. Father, we would ask, uh, because of your goodness, that you would continue to expand the influence of seeds planted in little lives. Um, We want, as we scatter, as Kimberly and her team scatters good gospel seed, we want it to fall on the right soil. And so, God, would you encourage parents who are struggling? Would you encourage parents who are doing it well? Would you strengthen and embolden us to make our homes these kind of legacy homes? That we would see the goodness, the grace, the beauty, the reality of the gospel uh, in our church, through our church, and coming from the mouths of our kids to encourage us to be the best possible stewards of the kingdom that we can be. Uh, Thank you, God, for the privilege that we have to be a church that is just completely overflooded with children. Help us to never take that reality for granted. Um, Give Kimberly and her team incredible stamina and strength as they do gospel work. We thank you for them. We honor you for them. And we pray it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Thank you, my friend. Can we thank Kimberly for all that she's done for us? Thank you. Go ahead and have a seat. One other little thing. Worship team came up early, so good job, guys. You get to stand there awkward. When I became a dad for the first time, Kimberly told me something that has stuck with me and I hope will always stick with me. When my son Campbell was born, she said, he will be your greatest teacher apart from Jesus. And she's been right. I've learned that I am not patient. I've learned that I am not always kind, but I've also learned that doing this is the most important job I'll ever have. 
My little boy Campbell, I'm going to get emotional because it's an emotional thing, has a simple love for Jesus. A week or two ago, while we were having a conversation about his school and what he loves about school, um, our boys have the privilege of going to LCA, uh, London Christian Academy, and I explained to him, as he told me, that one of his favorite things was his Bible class and learning about Jesus at school. And I had to explain to him that not every kid has this opportunity, and, and not every, every family chooses this opportunity, and that's okay. But to him, he was completely dumbfounded that people wouldn't talk about Jesus at school because to him, what he's heard at home and at kids' church is that this is what's true, that God loves him, that Jesus is part of the world, that he's doing something unique and and redeeming and doing wonderful things. He's completely oblivious to the grown-up realities of the things that we have to deal with. My boy has childlike faith. He's been told that Jesus loves him. He's been told that Jesus has died for his sins. He's had it explained that he needs to repent when he's done things that are wrong and he needs to trust in Jesus to help him do better. One day, that's going to change. As hard for me as it is to acknowledge, one day the simple explanations and Bible stories aren't going to be enough because we have got ourselves confused about the things that really matter, thinking that God can't love us because we've messed up or God won't have us because we've blown it. But it won't be how he responds to those things that saves him. It'll be the same gospel reality that he comes to Jesus with childlike faith. So for parents, we do this. The commandments that Moses gave to the Israelites from God's hand are to be upon their hearts. And he says, impress them on your children. It's the word indoctrinate. Indoctrinate your children with the best things possible, with God's life-giving word. Talk to them about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down to bed, and when you get up in the morning. Then this, we are to train a child in the way that he should go. And the general reality, not a promise, Proverbs aren't promises, is that we trust God to do the work of, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. We can't save them. You can't save them. Kimberly and her team and all the amazing things that she does for her children, we are not responsible for the salvation of our kids. We are responsible as Christians and as churches to point them in Jesus' direction and allow for them in childlike faith to Come to him. Simple, humble, clear, honest trust in Jesus. Childlike faith is simply this. Wanting to be with Jesus for Jesus. Kingdom faith isn't childish. It's childlike. It's simple. It's beautiful. It's pure. And it's exactly how Jesus wants us to come believing that what he has for us is best and that we can trust him with it. So ask yourself this question. Are you digging deep roots of simple dependence on Jesus? Are you allowing your faith to bloom in this kind of a way, in childlike ways? Yes, be serious about your faith. Don't be, don't be childish about it. Take it for, don't take it for granted. Be real about it. Be firm in it. Be committed Because Jesus is beckoning not only children to himself, but he's beckoning us to himself in the same way that he does the little kids. And there's people here today who need to hear that gospel invitation. So I'm going to invite you to Jesus, for Jesus. The byproduct of coming to Jesus for Jesus is that he gives us salvation. Yes, that is the gift of gifts.
but he himself is salvation. The person of Jesus is salvation. The gospel is about the king. That's the kind of church I want us to be, that we're about the king and we're about the kingdom. Not childish, not playing it simple, not playing it safe, being serious, but loving him like kids. Would you pray with me? And so, Father, we would ask that you would do this in us for your beautiful namesake. For the person who is here in this moment, God, who has not trusted you for salvation and for eternity, my prayer, Lord Jesus, is that you would break open the hardness of heart that may lie there. That you would give us the gift of grace to be childlike and just to want to be with you in the same way that our kids model so well. So if you're that person today and you need to come to faith in Jesus, understand that there is a cost. Kingdom life costs you your own life, but oh, what you gain. God's everlasting kingdom that he will share with you forever. You can simply ask him to receive you into his life. To acknowledge that you have sinned against a holy God, that you deserve judgment, that you deserve condemnation, but that as you trust in Jesus, he will give you freedom from it all. And all you need to do is simply ask him to change you as you submit your life to him, doing what he commands for your own good and trusting him as the glorious savior that he is, the one who will hold you firm and fast till the very end. So Jesus, would you do that in us today? Remind those of us who have been Christians for a long time that this is the Jesus we need. And thank you for the invitation that we have to come to you like children, just wanting to be with you. For your beautiful namesake, I have prayed. Amen.